And a lot of times I'm driven by fear and the fear of failure. So not necessarily going for success, but because I can't fail. So I'm like, there's no way I can go back home to Russia and show them that they were right and I failed. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast, the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. The YTP is a branch of its mothership, Yogi Triathlete, where we wake up every morning to our mission to create a better world. We do this through the physical coaching and training of our athletes, mindset training, high vibrational food, and meaningful conversations via this very medium. I'm Jess, your host, and along with my co-host, Beach, we are bringing you one of those conversations today. We are so grateful to be joined by our friend Vera, ultra runner, entrepreneur, mother, and wife, who based on my experience after spending hours with this girl on the trail is in possession of one of the strongest mindsets I know. This and many other potent life experiences is why she's here with us today. Vera's story starts many years ago in Russia, known at the time as the Soviet Union. Vera experienced loss and hardship at a young age before coming to America with only $300 in her pocket. Unable to speak the language, Vera found herself making french fries at McDonald's six hours a day. From there, her story grows more intense when hunger and homelessness became her norm. Navigating the streets of San Diego every single day from a place of not knowing how she would make it here in America, not knowing where her next meal would come, not knowing if her night would be spent on a mattress in someone's home or on a park bench. Vera has lived what we all fear the most, a loss of comfort and safety, and she has risen high above it all to become the woman she is today. And I can't wait to dive in. So Vera, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I um, literally almost just cried right now. I've almost, I've cried pretty much four times already this morning, reading your story to (laughs) BJ and then writing that intro and just like, I had to stop writing it because I'm like, I can't. I can't even put into words like what you're going to be able to put into words because you've lived it and I haven't lived what you've lived and we've all had our own hardships to you know our relative degree but I just I can't imagine um, losing those comforts that you know I've had my whole life and I think a lot of people have and and you are such a gift to us just that reminder that you know you get up and you have a roof over your head like everything's okay. Thank you. It's pretty incredible looking back at what I have accomplished. So looking back now, and I'm like, I can't believe that I did that in where I am right now. I'm super grateful for everything that was thrown at me because that just taught me everything that I have today. It's, you know, you and I, like whenever we get on the trail together and we run together, it's always about mindset. It's always about our power of choice. I mean, as even as a young girl, you lost your mom. What was growing up in the in the Soviet Union like? Like, how many choices did you have back then? What what was that upbringing like? I grew up in a pretty strict family. My mom was pretty strict. She was a doctor. Um, she got breast cancer when I want to say I was fourteen. So she struggled from. Um, she fought with breast cancer until she until I was nineteen. Then she passed away. Uh, we had very strict rules uh, for a while. We didn't have a lot of things available to us. Uh, my mom would limit our candy to uh, two per week. And um, so the boundaries were set, you know, pretty strict. So that's kind of like how I grew up. I really never had to deal with uh, weight loss problem because we didn't know that problem existed until it did. And that kind of hit me. And uh, 
so then I started to struggle with weight loss or just like image in general, body image in general when I was like 15 and started to go on diets. Um, but it was very different for what we have here. Um, the choices were not available. A lot of choices were not available. And um, I guess we didn't believe that we could achieve anything that we wanted in Soviet Union. So everybody was the same. And we were always told that don't try to jump out of your box. Just stay quiet. Do what everybody does. Go to college. Go work nine to five every single day. Find a husband. Stay safe and small. Pretty much, yes. Wow. Yeah. So what brings you to America? What what age are you when you come to America? So when my mom passed away, um, I was in college and I just ran into this opportunity to come to the United States for um, just study and work for a little while, get some experience, uh, pick up my language a little bit more. We did study English in school from like first grade, but not conversational English. So my conversation skills were like below zero. Um, so I took opportunity and uh, my dad had to borrow some money to pay for the program. And I'm like, I'm going to pay you back when I have a chance. And uh, we found a employer, which was McDonald's. That's what brought us here. And we came straight to Oceanside, which when we came here, it was incredible because you have no car and you're like, what is this thing, this country? Like you can walk anywhere, you have to drive everywhere. So I thought it was like a hole, like in the middle of nowhere. Who came with you to, it was because you say we, and when I'm reading your story on your website, you, you mentioned we. So who was with you when you came over here? I had uh, three friends that traveled with me from back home. They were from my college. And so how does life ensue once you land in Oceanside? You get this job at McDonald's and like you try your hand at the cash register, but that does not work because you don't have the conversational skills. Right. So you're just standing in front of the French fryer all day yeah. long. So I did that for hours at a time and uh, I developed this gigantic bruise on my arm because the handle was apparently too long and things that you never thought you were going to run into. And uh, like everything was just like not what we expected of America in general because the way it was described in books and magazines and articles and, you know, on TV, we always believed that, you know, money falls on you from the sky in America. It's super easy. The way the program promised us is you guys will be able to work at McDonald's and earn like $6,000 over the summer so you can pay off your loan, whatever you um, got to pay for the program and uh, still live and, you know, buy things. And the reality hit us hard because it's not how that works. And when you work at McDonald's, you can barely pay for, like, I don't know, um, your bus. And the place to live is really expensive. It was eight of us sharing a room at a motel. Um, we had one stove, and we would make spaghetti and pasta sauce from a can. And that's pretty much all we could afford. So I realized there's no way I can make all that money to pay the loan back. Wow, so it was like, it was like you were sold a lie, really, and yeah. this fantasy of what life was going to be like, and you had this harsh reality once you got here. Right. How long does the job at McDonald's last? About uh, eight days. And what happens there? <laughs> so, <laughs> that was quick, yeah? Yeah, you're like, yeah. I'm out of here. So we realized that if we uh, want to achieve anything, we got to get out of Oceanside, and we're going to go find a city 
where we can walk places where there are more jobs available, right? More people. So we took Greyhound and we took, to, uh, we came to San Diego, walked to downtown, found a hostel, met somebody who was like, I'll help you guys find a job. This Russian guy. Um, so he found us, he helped us get a job at Petco Park Stadium. So that's where I worked for the whole summer. Uh, it was a little bit more money and uh, more hours available in general because at McDonald's we were given like four hours per week. Oh my gosh. I know. So you're working at Petco Stadium, but it's still not enough. So tell us about how it ends up from the hostel to the streets. So it was not enough. And also the season ended. Uh, so baseball season ended. Uh, we were still here. And the football season started, but they were not giving us enough hours because that job was already full. So that's when we started looking for more places to work at. My English is still not great. Um, we met some people here, some Russian people who had some um, friends that been here for a really long time. So they were helping us out sometimes. I met some really shady people that were taking advantage of Russian students, uh, selling them uh, broken cars that would like break down in two weeks and just like literally taking advantage of so many young people, which, you know, taught me a lot. But back then, um, that was hard. So I started to look for jobs at restaurants, which, again, I couldn't be a waitress because my English was not good. I had no experience. Couldn't sell. And uh, so I worked as a hostess. I worked in the mall during holiday season selling poker chips and slippers. Sometimes it would be like a 14, 16-hour shift, basically from 8 a.m. to like 10 p.m. until the mall closes. Did, with all these obstacles and challenges, did you ever think about going back? I did. Um, I did think about going back, but um, actually like never really shared that story. But um, my, my dad got remarried when my mom passed away. And uh, I was young. Now I look at things very differently. Uh, so whatever happened, it probably meant to happen. You know, they found each other and everything. But back then I was 19. My sister was 15. I really just didn't want to go back to my family at all. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. It, there's nothing to do for me. I really just wanted to be on my own. So that stopped me from going back. And your friends too, the, the three friends you were working with McDonald's, were they, did they move down there with you to San Diego? Um, they actually came back to Russia in September. They did? Yeah. And you stayed by yourself? Yeah. Wow. That's what I think. I'm like, wow, like <sighs> where was my brain? Now I'm like, well, that was great. <laughs> so you had to have been in, I mean, you were definitely functioning in survival mode. Like, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. What's that? What's that for the lack of a better word and not to put words in your mouth, but what is that? When you look back on that desperation, that way of living, how are you sleeping at night? Were you sleeping at night? So what I think is I was young, I was 21. I uh, didn't really have any other experience. Um, and I feel like I, I uh, perform really well when I'm put in a stressful situation. I um, manage how to put my crap together. So I think that's the only thing that put me through. And I really, really wanted to be on my own. And a lot of times I'm driven by fear and the fear of failure. So not necessarily going for success, but because I can't fail. So I'm like, there's no way I can go back home to Russia and show them that they were right and I failed. I'm like, that's not gonna happen. What was that first night like when you realized that you had nowhere to sleep? I'm like, I'll sleep on a bench. It's better than Siberia. It doesn't snow. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was like not scared at all. I would be really scared right now, but I was not scared. I didn't, now that I know how many homeless we have, you know, the criminal stuff and all of that, back then I'm like, oh, whatever. You were just living your life. Yeah. That's so, that's, wow, that just hit me. Like you didn't have the information uh -uh. here that was not in your awareness. And then, uh -uh. which is how we all might want to walk this earth a little bit without the information and just experience it. But then you got this download of information like, okay, well, yeah, it can be pretty sketchy here. Right. So that was almost to your advantage. Mm -hmm. not knowing yeah yeah do you use that today do you do you use those tools today where maybe you feel like you've gained some information on someone or an experience and you try to and your mind tries to interject but yet you just go forward despite that information i do that i do that with people and i do uh the same with my events for my races that i train for um a lot of times i don't train on the course 100 uh, percent so I would have an idea, but I'm like, I don't want to be there and see the whole thing because I want it to be a new experience to me. I want it to be an adventure and I will deal with that and I'll do my best, but I would never run a full course before my race. And I kind of do the same thing with people where uh, I trust my gut when I meet somebody. I'm always looking for a personality. I'm looking for experiences, but I don't necessarily listen to what other people say about those people because their experience might've been different. And that really doesn't mean anything. Have you always been like this? Like just had that gut no. intuition? No. When did that start to develop in you? Probably when I opened my own gym. Mm. Because it was a new experience to me. I had never done that before. And one thing is to be a trainer and train somebody how to do squats. And it's a completely opposite thing is when you're building your own business, building your empire. And uh, it all depends on what you do it's all in your hands so you can do as well as you think you can and that's when I started doing that okay and I can't wait to get into that story <laughs> and what led you to the whole fitness journey um but when does thing when do things start to turn around for you how do you start to get money and get a place and start to get some friends and the trajectory of your life starts to soar a little bit higher so I started just, I just ran into people and I was lucky enough to meet uh, some really incredible people in my life as well. And uh, some of those stories are also pretty unbelievable because the girl that I actually became friends with in the beginning, uh, she died in a car accident in 2006. Um, it was a freaky accident. And uh, so we met and we worked together at the mall and then we rented a place together. We started to make enough money to um, be roommates. And she introduced me to my now husband, which again was a complete accident. Wasn't, I mean, I guess it was meant to be, but um, we ran into each other. And uh, about two or three years later, I looked at him and I'm like, he seems to be a really nice guy. And uh, I think we can build a future together. So that's how we started. But we knew each other for like three years. And, um, and then she gets in an accident, she passes away, and uh, she was probably the person who, um, she played a big role in what happened to me in this country. Do you still feel her presence with you? I totally do. Yeah, talk yeah. to her a lot and stuff? Sometimes, when it's hard, yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. Her name is Kate? Yes. Right. So Kate brings, after much convincing, brings you down to this workshop where you meet your husband. Yeah. You're, you're 
not husband then, but but eventually to be your husband. And from there, you have children that you never thought you were going to have. And then the other thing that's happening through all of this is that you're starting to pack on some pounds. So interesting how you go from spans of, you know, not having food for days to now moving into a situation where you eventually become obese. Yeah. Do you feel like there was being in that survival mode of like not knowing and and we know this back from the days like what the cavemen days right like we didn't know when our next meal was going to come so the our bodies are hardwired especially if we're in survival mode to hang on to what we have do you feel like some of that informed this trajectory towards obesity i yes i do believe that happened and uh also i kind of settled down you know everything was safe I knew I could rely on my husband. He's there um, to protect the family. He's very caring and he is a provider. So that made me feel very safe. And uh, I started eating what I couldn't probably eat before. And also it was very different from my home country too. Um, Just the amounts, the availability, the variety, and everything is very calorie dense that you don't think about. So it's not necessarily the quant, the quality, but the quantity of those qualities and the density of the quantity. So it just basically doubled. So we never really had that back home and I never really experienced that until that moment. And then everything was available and uh, so yeah. And you just started eating it. Yeah, without thinking even, without realizing that. Do you remember, uh- when you were able to exhale out of that survival state? I don't think I really ever got out of the survival instinct in general. Like, it's still somewhere in the back of my mind. Like, I'm a fighter, I guess. So things get better and things get easier for a while and then things get harder. Um, For a while, I felt like everything was safe for a few years. That's when I packed on a lot of weight. But deep inside, I was very unhappy with myself. So um, maybe that was my survival mode in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about packing on the weight. You know, did it get difficult to look in the mirror? Yes. And also I was in denial. So a lot of things were difficult for me. Um, I think the hardest thing that I remember is tying my shoes like you can't bend over you have to bring your leg up you have to bring your foot up onto your knee to tie a shoe and it's such a single simple thing that everybody just does every single day we take for granted and that was really hard um i had a um i had my first baby so he was getting closer to two um just taking care of him running after him was um harder i would look in a mirror i didn't like what i saw my size kept going up and up and up but at the same time when you see yourself you don't see yourself as big so I was kind of in denial but when other people tell you or somebody takes a picture of you and you're like it's probably just a bad angle because there's no way I look like that when in reality you do look like that but you don't want to see it and this is something that you know your weight was something that you were battling when you were living in Russia when you were younger. You had said in dieting, and so are you trying to diet at this time? I constantly try to diet, and that's the problem. Let's talk about diets. Oh, I how love effective, talking about diets. How effective are diets? <laughs> they are 
really effective while you're on them. <laughs> Super effective. As long as soon as you get off, um, if you didn't learn the habits that you can stick to for the rest of your life, um, nothing is going to help you. So like I, I always say, I'm like every single diet is effective while you're on it. Can you do that for the rest of your life? That I don't know. So even back home, our just body image was very different. Everybody has to be skinny. And uh, it's not a very popular opinion, but uh, back in uh, Second World War, a lot of men died in Russia, a lot of men. So we probably had 70-30 population. Uh, so 30% men, 70% women. So it's harder for women to, ha to find a husband. So everybody has to look really good and be skinny. And that's where it, coming, it comes from. Uh, it's not as bad right now, but there's still more women in Russia than men, and here it's the opposite. Uh, so everybody has to look good. Everybody always tries to, uh, you can go to buy bread without makeup on, without your heels on. So it's just the image that is built, and like you just have mm -hmm. to be that. So everybody has to be on a diet. And uh, We can take a little break so Olivia can get tended to. We've got Olivia here with us, who's, how old are you, Olivia? Four. Four years old? Do you know how old Clark is? How? How old is Clark? Eight. Five. Five. He's a year older than you. Olivia and Clark are hanging out together. So that's so interesting. So it's like, it was like competitive mm -hmm. back in, and this is when, so, and you're growing up in this, and we know that like a lot of our belief systems are really ingrained, um, of course, societal, um, from our families, like by the age of five. Right. So there must have been some kind of belief in there that you had to be skinny in yep. order to be wanted. Seen. seen. Yeah, great word. Seen. Yeah. My mom dieted her entire life. My mom's sister dieted her entire life. We grew up watching that. My mom being on a kefir diet, on cabbage diet, and all of that, just to be skinny. So I had that in my mind since I was little. What was one of the first diets that you went on? Can you recall? I would probably say it was a kefir diet. It was very popular in Russia. And so what's that been... for the audience that might not know? You just drink kefir and nothing else. <laughs> okay. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's just a fermented milk drink, kind of like uh, drink uh, liquid yogurt, uh, drinkable yogurt, but it has no flavor and it's not sweet. So kefir has everything you need to survive? Uh, of course not, no. It has, uh, I mean, it has <laughs> calories, it has some protein, so basically keeps you uh, full enough. Uh, also, your body develops this great uh, smell of acetone because that's what happens. Um, um, it's horrible. I mean, I, you would feel lightheaded if you just drink that for a whole day. And you would do that for like three weeks, four weeks at the time. Get really skinny. And then go back to regular diet, regular eating, and then go yeah. back on keeping. Mm -hmm. Just keep going back and forth. Yeah. So that's what that dieting thing mm -hmm. is, right? Because it's not sustainable. Right. Um, what else were you on? What do you recall? Uh, so oh my goodness, we have a buckwheat diet. Nobody knows what that is, but it's when you just eat buckwheat and nothing else. <laughs> like buckwheat, like the grain yeah. buckwheat? Okay. Yeah, so we use it as a side dish like rice and like noodles back home. Um, it's, it's actually high in iron, right? So the carb content is about the same as rice. It has lots of minerals in it, so it will keep you, you know, pretty full for a little while until you get bored. I mean, how long can you eat buckwheat for? <laughs> <laughs> So 
where are you getting the information from for these? Like at this friends, time? friends, neighbors, uh, parents uh, from school. Everybody at school had to be on a diet. So word of mouth. There is no social media presence at that time. I didn't have my first cell phone until I was 19. So um, basically from people surrounding you. Taking a lot of trust in mm -hmm. what other people's experiences are. And I think right. that loops back to yeah. how you now trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like my neighbor's mother-in-law's nephew's cousin was on this diet. And I mean, that's that's what happens. So now here you are again. You find yourself. Now you're married. You've got um, a son. Two more are coming. Two more kids are coming in the future. You're not happy. You're in denial. You're refusing to believe that what you see in these photos are who you are. And you're dieting again. Dieting again. So when I had Ivan, I... Uh, lost some baby weight, kind of went back to pretty much pre-pregnancy. And I'm like, okay, I got to lose those last five pounds. And this is where everybody gets stuck. Uh, those last five pounds are impossible to lose if you keep dieting. So I would lose two, gain four, lose three, gain 10, lose five, gain 10. So over the course of two years, I went from 155 to 220 on a diet constantly. What about the wine diet? You mentioned you were on the wine diet for a while there. That was a great diet <laughs> while you're on it. Uh, that was actually before, uh, it was actually before I, I was married and I had a baby. So when I moved to the United States, I kind of gained weight on noodles for a while. And then I started working at the restaurant 18 hours a day. And uh, we would, I would not eat anything for a whole day and just drink wine in the evening. And um, you lose weight real quickly on that diet. <laughs> So what was the turning point? So, I mean, I, I talk about it a lot and a lot of people, I feel like sometimes they get it wrong uh, because it was not a negative thing. It was a positive thing. But my husband, we had uh, New Year's dinner, New Year's Year Eve dinner, and his older kids were there. And my husband mentioned he was making a joke and he was like, you gain some pounds, you know, don't you want to lose some pounds? So he didn't mean that in a bad way, but the way it came through to me, I got pretty offended, I guess. And I'm like, so you don't believe me that I can do it. And uh, I guess that's when I just decided this time it's going to happen because somebody didn't believe in me or I don't know, maybe he believed in me, but I didn't think he did. Um, but... I like I don't know it's really hard to describe like what happened at that point but I guess everybody comes to a point where that's life-changing so that was that and then his kids were there and um, also I got new pants and they were starting to get small and you know what happens is when somebody tells you the truth and before you didn't want to see it but when you actually admit to yourself and honest with yourself that that is true and you hate hearing that but when you choose to see it and hear it and admit it to yourself, that's when your life changes. Yeah, the truth can be really hard to look at. What was like your high point of weight? Because you said like you got new pants, meaning I'm thinking you're talking about you got even a bigger size and that was getting too small. Yeah, 16. And they actually still have them at the gym. Uh, every now and then I'll put them on and we all take pictures and everybody's like, what? Uh, size 16, they were stretchy and I would have to unbutton them when I have dinner or like sit down. Yeah. And what was your top weight? 
220. And when you, how, were you weighing yourself at the time? I mean, you were dieting, so you're probably weighing yourself, but were you absorbing the number? I would only weigh myself when I would start a new diet. And then the second I fall off, I would never want to see the scale. So did you weigh yourself after your, you kind of had this moment? And, and it's, it is hard to describe because it's, it's the moment that, you know, people have been teaching you about your whole life and then just somebody says one thing or you hear one thing and you get it. Right. And like you, you can hear back. the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, my business coach always likes to point out, he's like a lot of times, most times we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. And I guess when you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it, and then at some point it just hits here. So maybe the first 10 times are not going to happen, but it's that one time. Yeah. So you have this moment where it's a wake up, it's a massive wake up, and you, you, you kind of throw down a number and you say, you know, a year from now I'm going to yeah. be... 160. 160. A year from now I'm going to be 160 pounds. But you meet that goal so much quicker. So what... Because it's, we can have the wake up, but now we got to do the work. Right. So how do you change and do the work as opposed to just going back to being that gerbil on the wheel, losing five, gaining seven, losing three, gaining 10? Support. I had a friend and uh, she will probably listen to this and uh, we talk about it a lot. She would text me every single day. And she was super annoying. And there were days when I hated her the most. And I still did everything that I was supposed to do because she would text me and she was like, what did you eat yesterday? Let's go to the gym. Let's go to the gym. Let's go on the walk. And uh, it's kind of like when you were a child and your parents tell you to brush your teeth every day in the morning and in the evening. And you hate doing that. But then because they keep reminding you every single day and like, I'm that mom. And my kids are like, why do I need to brush my teeth? I'm like, because you have to, because I say so. <laughs> and, uh, and then you get used to that. So after three weeks, four weeks, five weeks of her texting me every single day, um, I got used to the habit. And then we joined the gym where they had a community of people that also supported you. They remembered your name. They asked how your day was. They would compliment you on your workout. And... Uh, your whole life perspective changes and you get used to it and you start to like that. And that's what keeps you going. How did that make you feel? That makes me feel, uh, that made me feel seen. And that's what, that was the life changer. Yeah. And that you matter. Yeah. Somebody cared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're working out, but we all know that you can't outwork a crappy diet. So how, how, um, how do you start changing your, your food intake? Lots of trial and error. Um, I tried to go on a low-carb diet. I actually complained to my doctor at the time. I'm like, I feel like I'm, I think I have thyroid problem. And he's like, honey, you have a carb problem because you eat too many carbs. I'm like, okay. Um, so I did not have a thyroid problem, okay? I, did, uh, I had high blood pressure. I had high cholesterol. I was almost pre-diabetic, but I did not have a thyroid problem. I caused my own cholesterol, high blood pressure, and diabetic problem. It was my own fault. Uh, but I did lower my carb intake. At some point, I went to, I did a lot of extremes, which, um, because I didn't know. So I had to try different things. Um, and then at some point, I think I read about flexible dieting, if it fits your macros. 
and that kind of resonated with me because I was like, okay, so you can think, you can eat things that you like, um, if they fit into your numbers. The thing, the tricky thing here is that how do you know your numbers? Because nobody knows their numbers. But back then, I didn't know anything about them. So basically, calorie deficit for a while with extremes and then um i learned how to eat what i needed to eat so that worked out for me so so what you're doing is you you figure out you need just to get through your day you need 2500 calories let's just say so in that day the extreme example would be i'm just going to give myself a mm-hmm. thousand calories right and just do that day after day after day and then then would you bump it back up yeah okay yeah and there were days when i would eat 800 calories because you feel like you're doing so much more when uh, you're eating so much less. Like now I know it doesn't work because you can't eat on Monday for the whole week ahead of you. You're still going to be hungry tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess I, I, I hope that would work. I mean, it didn't. What did, um, what happened, what happened with your mind, what happened with your clarity and your mind through, through throughout the day? Like on an 800 calorie diet, you're working out. So now you're in a big deficit. Did you, did you feel any fogginess or did you see clarity? What, what experiences did you have? Oh, you know, that really depends on the day. Sometimes it would, and sometimes I would feel a um, little dizzy. I would feel less energy towards the end of the day. What really did help me is that because I had a young, um, because I had a little boy, I would always work out in the morning, and that energy from the exercise gets you going, and you get all of the endorphins going in, and you're like feeling happy. So I guess you don't feel the uh, side effects of eating not enough for a while until it gets you. But what I experienced a lot is uh, a certain craving of something. And once you get a little taste of it, you can't stop because your body still wants the food. You can only convince your body for so long that you're eating enough when really you can't do that for like 20 years. Do you have an example of that? Something you craved and indulged in? Oh, I love bread. And that's my biggest thing um, because in Russia we grow up on bread. And uh, if I had a slice of bread, I probably would eat an entire loaf and I wouldn't be able to stop. So something just goes into your brain and you just can't stop. But you can see that now. I can see that now. You can see, you can see that that little taste is going to bring you down this, this road. Right. And now, then you're going to feel. Yeah. Like now I know what causes those cravings. Now I know how to prevent those cravings from happening. Um, but back then I just didn't know. And through this whole journey of self-discovery, cause we, that's, this is something we really believe in. Like you got to have your own experience. You need to, you can do all the info, read all the books and watch the movies and get guidance, but you need to experience it for yourself and see how it works. Did you ever get frustrated during this process where you got down to the 160? I did get frustrated a lot. I failed so many times. I don't even, I can't even count how many times I failed. But having that support helped me go get, like, go back at it. And also the community of people at the gym, um, they would text me and they're like, we haven't seen you last week. Where are you? And so knowing that somebody's waiting for me there, extra accountability, that's what helped me. Uh, So I would always get back up and I would just continue to do what I was doing, which now I look back, I'm like, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm seeing this from a bird's eye view, like you just, at one point you isolated yourself and were home, you know, gaining the weight and then you started community. Yeah. Like you, 
placed yourself in a community, which probably was uncomfortable at first, like to be physically seen and communicate with others. And then you almost feel bad sometimes when you don't show up at the gym. You're like, well, they're just going to call me out. And, and and now you've got this this pull. Now it's probably totally shifted the other way where you can't get enough of being out there with people. Yeah. And it usually starts, um, and like I see it a lot now because mm-hmm. I've had the gym for a few years and I see it a lot with my clients. And like I see myself in pretty much every single one of my clients because when they come in, everybody has a different personality. Of course, some people are more outgoing and some are not. But usually new people start in the back of the gym in a corner of the room because they're just not comfortable. They don't like the way they look. They uh, don't feel strong enough. They don't feel like they can do it. The more confident people get, the more towards the center they move. And uh, it's not just at the gym. It's like everywhere right? Like you can see it in kids, you can see it in adults. But sometimes I wonder like how much more I can do to help people move from the corner to the center. So that's kind of like the way I look at everything in life is it's not just about the weight, but it's everything. Right. That's why it can't just be a diet of caloric or variety like the deprivation of right. variety of food it can't because it's got to be a lifestyle yes it's got to be a lifestyle so you drop the weight I'm assuming you just have a knowing that there's just no going back there's no you're feeling better you've you have two more children both of which are much more healthy pregnancies natural childbirth no drugs like your cholesterol is back things are going well when do you decide to open up Slim Jim I'm going to tell a story that I've never told before. I love that. It's not on my website, and uh, I never felt in a good place to tell this story, but the reason why I opened the gym, I met somebody who had her own weight loss company, and so she hired me as a coach, an online coach, and uh, we did flexible dieting, macros that worked out really well for me. Uh, We had a just personal conflict. I didn't feel seen. She felt like I was feeling too entitled, probably. Now looking back, I'm like, probably both of us were wrong. But what happened is that I stood up for myself and uh, she fired me over the email. And what happened, I got so angry. I drank a bottle of wine. It was 1030 in the morning. And I'm like, I'm going to open my own gym. Watch me. And that's how it started. So, I mean, the story is long and complicated and all of that, but um, that's how it started. Anger can be a motivator. It can really call you to action. Right. So that was the best thing that had ever happened to me in my life, pretty much, besides, you know, the birth of my children. But that's how it started. And that was the first time that I started something and I followed through and I actually did it. So that was Labor Day. It's kind of like ironic the way it all happened. I was fired on... Labor Day over the email. So that was September 2nd, 3rd, whatever it was, 2016. November 1st, I signed the lease on my location. December 17th, the place was open. Whoa. I, I, I went for it. Knowing nothing about gyms, having zero experience in business, never having my own business in general. I mean, I coached. I knew how to do squat, but I'm like, I didn't have the experience I have now. <laughs> now I look back, I'm like, I didn't know anything about anything i just went on that anger drove me so i didn't start to necessarily like you know i'm gonna change like the life of a thousand people 
that's not how it started. <laughs> I just love it. Like the squat, like you can't go get a business loan. You can't get a license. You can't yeah. get a logo doing squats. No, like no. you need to figure out yeah. how to do this yeah. stuff. So no business just, plan. No. Mm, no. So my husband helped me uh, get a loan. So that's what we got. And then I used my credit cards and I basically built everything from nothing. I painted the walls myself. My neighbors helped me install the floors. Uh, my neighbor works for a welding company. He built a rig that we paid for. So with help of friends and community, like that gym was built on pure, like, I don't know. It, it was just like, it, it started from zero. Yeah. You don't have to know. Like you did that. That was the defining moment. I mean, we all, we all can endure and keep going and keep going and yeah. We all have our breaking points. Yeah. And that was just, and some of us need that. I know yeah. Jess can assess to this. Like when I was building websites, it was like, if it's due tomorrow, I'm, it's like the night before, I'm like pulling in an all nighter to get it done. Yeah. Like we all need to be up against that brick wall that mm -hmm. our backs up against the wall. Um, when you opened the place, when you opened the place, was there a big sigh of relief or was it like, oh what my did God. I just do? That's exactly what it was. I didn't sleep the night before. I was like, what am I doing? Like, who am I to open a gym? I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, I'm not going to be successful. Am I going to be successful? I like, I literally didn't sleep for a whole night for my grand opening. I had, um, some of my friends and like four walk-ins because I didn't know how to advertise. Like I knew nothing about social media. Um, I, it was disappointing. I'm like, I was so, you know, like you have an idea and you're like, I'm going to open the gym. I'm going to have a line by the door. People are going to be looking to join the gym. Now that is not how it works, apparently, which I learned by experience. Uh, so it, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be because I thought I'm like, oh, you know, I, I know I'll teach people. People want to lose weight. I'll help them. There's no local gym. It just got harder from there. How did you stay with it when there wasn't a line at the door? Like, were there times where you walked in and they were like, it was like you standing in the middle of empty place, a bunch of debt? How'd you stay with that? I guess I just really wanted to prove to myself and to everybody else that I can do it. I'm like closing or failing. It's just not an option. You'd rather sleep on a park bench. Yes. Do you pull? Did you pull upon those experiences, you know, of when you first came to America and how tough it was? Like, if I can do that, I can do this. I did that, and I totally thought about it. Kind of like Dave Gogging things, you know, like you uh, reach for the cookie jar, right? And then you're like, okay, I slept on a bench, but then I made it. I got over that, that feeling. I guess I would always grasp onto that feeling when I like I did accomplish something in my life that feeling of accomplishment I would always grasp on that that what helps me get through hard days and hard years decades <laughs> <laughs> need that cookie jar yeah so you have the shop open and you're like a few weeks in and you're going to the, the shop in the morning you unlock the door and you sit there and like crickets Actually, I have crickets, yeah. You have crickets? <laughs> so there are crickets? There are crickets, literally, yeah. <laughs> so, like, no one's coming. No one, like, what are you doing during the day? What do you do during the day? Like, how 
How are you ma- managing that? How are you navigating that? I started looking into things. I started reading things. I would walk around, make flyers, drop it off. I started to talk to people more. That was really hard for me first. I'm an immigrant. I'm an alien. I have accent. Just like opening up and starting talking to people. And basically, you're opening yourself for judgment and criticism. That's really hard. I guess like something just like changed so much. Like that experience when I got fired and uh, instead of being crushed by something that happened to you, you take that as a learning opportunity. One door closes, the other door opens. Like actually looking for that other door that is available. A lot of us just don't see that uh, or don't want to see that. So I guess that's what I started to look for. I started to look for different opportunities to show people what I can do, what I am, what I do, because people just don't know. People focus on what happened to them, and they build a story on what happened to them, not what they're going to do about it. Right. Right. So they build the story because it sort of keeps them in that lack mindset, that victim mindset. Like, yeah. well, this is what happened to me. I was fired or let go. And, and they build upon that versus just, okay, this is, yeah, it's a fact. This happened. Yeah. Now, how am I going to pick myself up every day and continue to move forward? Right. And so this fire, it sounds like this fire, and it's probably still with you, probably oh, yeah. still like <laughs> yeah. stewing down there. Who was your first client or did, how did you get your first client? My first client, her name was, uh, her name is uh, Danielle. Uh, she came to my grand opening and she pulled a ticket in a raffle for five free personal training sessions. She was one of the four people that came to grand opening. Um, so she actually came back for the raffle ticket and we redeemed the personal training sessions. And uh, I, I think that she just felt so bad for me that I didn't have anybody else. She purchased uh, 10 group sessions. And she used one per week. And then at some point she started to like it. And then she used two per week. She started to come on Saturdays. I got her into running. She never ran in her life. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she ran some, but she definitely wasn't into running. She she actually just exited the gym uh, as of this month. She had been with me for three years. We built a great relationship. I trained her for a lot of races. She completed the peak half marathon last year. She ran Ragnar's with us and uh, like her whole fitness uh, perspective of fitness changed. She was my first client. She was my longest client and I probably will remember her for the rest of my life. (laughs) So when you were, you know, making up those flyers and passing them out and, you know, getting open and being vulnerable, you're going against how you were bred to be in Russia. Stay in the box. Yeah. Don't get out of the box. Yeah. And did you come up to that resistance of that? Could you feel yourself like coming out of this box? Really? I did. And for, for a little while, I tried to do things how everybody's supposed to be doing the, how the personal trainers are doing it. You know, you do leg day, you do chest day, you know, you do the splits, like you have 160 grams of protein per day. And I was trying to implement that in the gym. And uh, with years, like it didn't happen immediately, but with years, what I realized is that I know what you need, but you might not necessarily want that, or you don't know that's what you need, and I can't push it on you. So when I started to change my approach from telling you what you need to asking you what you want, 
and providing things to you that you want in a way that I think you need, that's when things started to change because people like being seen, being heard. And that's kind of like how fitness programs start. And I, from the experience, the most successful programs are is when I give my clients a plan that they can realistically follow, which means they got to do what they want to do. When you really don't know what you're doing, you've got to find, and I remember my, our, my yoga teacher saying this to me. He was like, when you guys go out and teach, you're going to say the things that I say. You're going to teach the way that I teach. You're going to, you know, have intonation in your voice where I have intonation in your voice. But eventually, you're going to have to find your own voice. Eventually, you're going to have to find your own way, what works for you, because your students are waiting for you. And your clients were waiting for you. Right. They were waiting for you to find you so that you could best support them. Right. And that's way out of the box. Yeah. There's nothing boxy about that. Right. Um, did you find freedom there, though? Um, once I started digging inside of myself and starting to be accepting more of who I am and that I may do things a different way than other people, and it's there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, my mom always... It's funny, my mom always tried to teach me. She's like, don't dress like them. Don't be the sheep in the herd. But as humans, we want to be a part of... A herd you know what I mean and not everybody can be outside of that and then I start to remember my mom's words and now I know what she meant back then I'm like I didn't know um, but started to open up my personality and not being as afraid of telling people how I feel what I feel what I see so that's when um, basically that's when magic started to happen and how many times people told me they're like, you got to be careful of what you say out there. And you got to be careful of what images you put out there and how people think of you. I got to the point that it's not that I don't care what people think about me. Like, I mean, of course, I do think about that. I, I do care. But for the most part, I am what I am. And I have my own voice. I have my own way of living life. And uh, I just want to get it out there because a lot of people may benefit from that as well so when people walk in your door what do you see as a common thread of why they're coming people looking for a solution to so most of my clients are weight loss uh, clients people that are looking to lose weight a lot of them are moms and uh, a lot of them want to lose weight not necessarily knowing how or not necessarily having the support and the community a lot of people look for easy solution and again like it, there's so much stuff there's so much information out there on social media now we have everything is so accessible and there's so many different diets and there's so many opinions is coconut oil good for you or is coconut oil bad for you and if you look it up there are probably opinions on both sides how do you know which one is right and which one is not right who do you trust so people come to I guess find that authority to find solution to their problems. Uh, but what I find that happens a lot is people that come to lose 20 pounds, their, their goals change a lot along the way, and so they find something else along the way. Am I, mm -hmm. do I sound confusing? No, they come in for one thing and they end up changing their life, right. basically. Yeah, so they don't come to a lifetime change, right? They don't, they don't come for a life change. That's not changer. their intent. No. So it starts with something simple. 
but it ends up being somewhere else. And what do you see as the biggest dropping of dropping out or giving up? Or do you see that? Do you see people come to you and then all of a sudden it's like, this is it for me? Uh, yes, I do see that, unfortunately. And uh, why do you think that is? Honestly, I still haven't found a solution to that. And I um, I tend to blame it on like, like, what else could I do differently? Like, where did I fail them? Right. But then sometimes it's just only so much you can do. But it's people don't believe that they can do it. And that's what happens. I didn't help them um, believe in themselves enough something else happened maybe something bad happened in life maybe their partner's not supportive maybe their kids are too much work so that they just don't they don't believe in themselves that they can make that happen which in reality it can happen to anybody and everybody but you gotta break your own beliefs that's the hardest part and as coaches i think i think that's the that's the break like yeah. you want to help so much you want to help you've got the answers you've got the keys right to the kingdom yeah and they show signs that they're 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 yeah. in, but then it doesn't fall out, and then you feel responsible a little bit. But there comes a point where they they need to do the work. But yes, it's um, blame not blaming. You are responsible. You feel responsible because I offer them. I so like I never make any promises, right? Because it's only so much I can do. I can give you all of my tools, all of my information, all my experience, my support. But you have to put the work in and that's what's a lot of sometimes people just struggle with that because it's hard but everything is hard how do you think that somebody can strengthen their belief in themselves you have to look around you and surround yourself with people that you find inspiring and encouraging if the people around you are not where you want to be you're probably never going to get there. So you have to break some of your habits. You have to be honest with yourself and basically admit to yourself that you are not there because it's your own fault and you can't blame anybody on it but yourself. And it's so much easier just to say, I am overweight because I have a lot of kids, my job is stressful, I don't have time, and this and that. And the thing is that I never call out people on that, I never say that, I never call that an excuse, because in their mind, they're actually, they just justify all of their actions, they, uh, those are reasons, those are not excuses, right? So they believe that that's what's stopping them. So getting out of those justifications in coming with different solutions to overcome those, I guess, problems and just everything that gets in the way. Uh, that's, that is the hardest part, but that's just what ha needs to happen. What is something that you've done over these, over this last decade that you, if you, if somebody told you when you were 15 back in the Soviet Union on the kefir diet that you were going to do, you would say, no, wh what? No way. A lot of things like over the last 10 years. So first of all, I never thought I was going to have kids. So I had kids. I never thought I would be, you know, I, when I was younger, when I was in a diet back home in Russia, I would, I would have dreams. I would imagine how I would look like, um, uh, in a good, uh, workout outfit. And, uh, 
like now I actually look that way. But back then I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna, you know, have that happen. Um, I ran two triathlons and uh, I didn't know how to swim growing up in Russia. I didn't know how to swim. So I had to learn how to swim. I had to overcome the fear of water, get on the bike and uh, do that. I never thought, I never believed I could do that. I hate running. I'm a runner. Are you sure about that? Exactly. <laughs> so like I used to, like I used to always say that I'm like, I hate running. It's horrible. Why would people run? Says the person who ran a hundred K last year, 65 miles for those people that don't know how to translate K's into M's. Um, and uh, the scariest part is that I, I liked it. Things like that. And just mentally overcoming the fear of just being in that shell into that box. And now I look at things and like I make goals for myself for next year, for the next decade, for the gym, my personal the growth, growing goals. And uh, I look at them, I'm like, that looks scary. I'm going to do it. So I think that's what I never thought I was going to get to is believing in myself that I can make that happen. So what scares you now that you have on the calendar for 2020? I have some pretty exciting business goals. I'm um, growing. My gym is growing like crazy. I'm going to double that growth this year. Uh, and my running coaching company with Isabella is uh, getting bigger and bigger. And um, we're starting to get a really good reputation, which started as a sidekick for us as a text message. Um, now it's growing into something that's um, also helping people change lives and change their perspective on how to train yourself for a race or like anything. You guys are more than just running coaches, though. So yeah. you and our friend Isabella have started ghost running and that's ghost runners. Yeah. And that. It was like a year ago, right? Yeah, we yeah. just had your one-year right, anniversary December, run yeah. that we did. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the last time that when we were talking about getting you on for the podcast. Right. So a year ago, I mean, yeah. to see what you guys have um, have created and also the collaboration. We're, we're so blessed here in San Diego to have all these different trail running clubs and communities and the collaboration that you're having with other clubs and communities. But you guys don't just offer run coaching. It's more, it's it's you know, what, what we believe in at Yogi Triathlete, like it can't just be the running. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be more than that. So yeah. um, what do you offer your athletes? So <clears throat> the, way, the way we work is I, um, I strongly believe that moving your body in all kinds of ways is very beneficial for you. And to be an excellent runner, you don't necessarily just have to run and you have to work on other areas of your strength and endurance so cross training i actually don't like calling it cross training because it has to be a part of your training so it's not cross training it's just a part of your training plan but strength training um high intensity exercising uh, move uh, working on your body's flexibility range of motion recovery uh feeding yourself correctly uh so nutrition is a big part of our program it's probably like 50 percent and by nutrition, I don't mean weight loss at all, uh, which a lot of people usually treat. They're like, oh, we're okay with our nutrition, but I'm like, are you? And basically what I do on my part with nutrition is I help people find the way that it's going to work for them. So I'm um, 
not against, I'm not pro any specific food approach, but I help people find what they like. Is that what like the flexible eating is what you're talking about? Because yeah. I hadn't heard that term before. So what is the flexible? So flexible eating, uh, flexible dieting or flexible eating is, um, it's, me- it's data measuring for the most part. So what can be fixed, what can be measured can be fixed. I strongly believe in that. So I like to collect data. I have a bachelor in finance, so I love looking at numbers. It gives me information I can feel in control, right? A good coach can provide their people, their athletes, their runners with a set of numbers after collecting data. I can provide my runners with a set of numbers that will benefit their goals the most. And that comes from um, adjusting their body composition, adjusting their performance. If some people want to gain muscle mass or lose body fat, like all of that can be adjustable. And to me, that's how I feel in control. And that's how I work on my goals. But when I'm giving people the numbers, it doesn't have to necessarily be a certain way of eating. Like I have people, we have runners who are 100% vegan. We have athletes who are vegetarians we have athletes who like keto style of eating and i mean by all means if that works for you and that makes you happy go for it because what works for me not necessarily going to work for you so i never force my way of eating on people but what i try to pass on to my uh on the people that i work with is that there is a way of eating and living for you that you maybe just haven't found yet so my job is to help you find that way. So that way you can do it on your own for the rest of your life. And you don't have to rely on me. So I'm not going to give you a meal plan. I'm not going to give you recipes. But I'm going to help you find that way. Eating foods that you like. Sticking to them. That helps you perform and look good and feel good. Because essentially like that's what it is about. And as we wrap this up, let's talk about deprivation. What do you feel about like depriving yourself of, of things like uh, bread? Is bread in your life? Absolutely, <laughs> and um, I I love bread. Um, and what have you learned from depriving yourself of bread? The more you deprive yourself of something, the more you're gonna want it. And um, comes from Adam and Eve, and that apple. The more you want something, it's very likely you're still gonna go for it. The more somebody tells you that you can't have it the more you're going to do it. So uh, you can't deprive yourself of anything. So, and that's kind of like what flexible dieting is about, is that you can still work that into your life as long as you know how to control that. I mean, you have to have boundaries. Like you can't have 12 donuts per day just because you feel like it. Uh, But not having donuts ever probably not going to serve you really well. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Any final words, Beach? What would you like to see in your... Uh, Slim Jim, what would you like to see it becoming in the next, you know, five, 10 years? Oh, that's a big goal. So like, I actually, every day I come to my gym, like I see what I like to see. I'm growing my team. I see uh, people interacting with each other. I see people coming in with a smile, enjoying their workouts. They're looking to like actually change their lives. I see the changes in their mindset, how much more powerful they become, how they start to change their goals because of joining a gym. So that's very huge for me. I work a lot with local communities. I support local schools a lot. Probably going to cry right now. 
it's pretty sensitive subject for me, but just showing people that there is help out there and uh, there is help inside of them and there's power and there's strength in you. It's just probably takes that one special person to help you discover that and break your own beliefs. And like from there, like, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but you can't be unstoppable, but you got to believe in that yourself. And uh, that's what I think my purpose is. So that's what I try to do the most. And it's because you believe in you. I do. Yeah. And others will follow. Yeah. How can people follow you? What, what's the best way to get in touch with you and follow along your story? I have pretty um, wide social media presence. You can follow me on Facebook. I have a business page. It's called Slim Jim Transformation. When I say Slim Jim, it's with a G and not the J. Um, like beef jerky. Uh, you can f- follow my personal page. It's Vera Stepina. Uh, I'm pretty open about my uh, journeys, my experiences. So I'm pretty transparent on social media as well. Ghost Runners Coaching, that's our Facebook page as well. Um, so both of us, Isabella and myself, are pretty equal in the company. Uh, that's what makes us Ghost Runners. So if you feel a pull and uh, want to get out on the trails, check out Ghost Runners. Thank you so much. For joining us today thank you so much for having me awesome and i'll be joining you on sunday for the ranch training run Sounds awesome good. vera i love you i love spending time with you on the trails i'm so grateful that you're in my life and thank you so much for for being so generous with your story you guys another person there's no freaking excuses even if they feel like reasons they're excuses right right <laughs>